Okay, hello, hello. Welcome back to yet another episode of Eton Remedies Embodied Chats. I can't believe we're already at episode 12 of our ongoing podcast chats. And somehow it feels like we're getting better at these and the content is getting more punchy and pithy. And today's feels as relevant and important as ever. And we have brought in someone who can handle the weight and burden of such a topic. Today, we are very fortunate to be joined by the likes of Dr. Femi, who is a inclusion expert amongst many titles and hats that she wears. We're also joined by uh, an unfortunately familiar voice and face in Mark Hutchison. But uh, let me give them both a chance to introduce themselves and give a bit of background into the chat. Femi, can you begin? Yes, would love to. So happy to be here. Really is an honor. I've heard some of the, the previous episodes. So, so really delighted to, to be here. Um, I'm Femi. I'm right now, I am SVP of Culture and Inclusion for uh, Axiom Knessel and Matterkind. I think I'm someone who's very passionate about inclusion generally. And so it's my mission to help people see themselves a little bit better and make sure they get seen and valued. So excited for our conversation today. Amazing, amazing. Mark, I know your intro is not gonna top that. So do your best to somehow uh, level set. Uh, hi, I'm Mark. I'm a writer here at Eternal Remedy, and I can't wait to have this discussion and to learn more about inclusion from Femi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so by way of context, we're going to try and infuse as much learning and insight as possible in the conversation, but for the most part, it's going to be informal and light and we're going to try and pick apart this topic, which is how can we build inclusion while disagreeing? And of course, as I was alluding to earlier, this is a relevant topic because we, we are in very divisive times, very polarizing times. And it feels as though the feel and texture and nature of conversations are often volatile and violent instead of uh, looking for ways to make bridges and to learn and to connect between people who share opposing views. And so what we'll try and do is learn a little bit more about what inclusion looks like, how it is fashioned in organizations, for example, or in institutions in general, as well as think about what a disagreement looks like and then find some happy middle ground between the two. So without further ado, Femi, what does inclusion mean to you? Oh, um, this is this is a good one. Um, I think for me, inclusion is all about seeing difference within people, um, celebrating difference within people, and also there being this sense of belonging. I think for me, um, I didn't know these terms inclusion before, but I'm 100% Nigerian. So born in Nigeria, 
And I came to the States when I was younger and moved to Ohio. So very, very different from Nigeria. And for most of my life, I was in an environment where I was certainly one of the only black people and definitely the only Nigerian and people did not know what to, to do with me. Um, and so in those environments, I've always been an overachiever. So always got straight A's in school and I, I had a really strong family. So I would have said, if you said, hey, how are you doing? I would have said, I'm, I'm good with life. But for high school, my parents sent me to an international school. And in that international school, again, I was one of a few Nigerians, but in that environment, there was also, you know, the only student from Korea, the only student from Japan, the only student from Germany. So in that environment, that was the first time that I saw that difference was this good thing. Once a year, they had a day where they, they celebrated difference. And they said, we want to we want to learn about your culture. We want to learn about your food, wear your national garb, bring all of that. Um, and for me, whenever I think about inclusion, that's the picture I have in my head, that experience I had in high school where I was seen for being different. It wasn't that people said, oh, you know what? We're all alike and that's cool. We be you're, you belong, you're part of this family. It was, no, you're different, but that's amazing. And we love that you're different and you're, and you're part of this family. So when I think about inclusion, that's that's what that's what I think about. And then, and Stefan, you said something else, a key word you said was bridging. To me, inclusion is a lot about bridging, mm -hmm. um, going beyond your norm to something that's out there, that's beyond. Mm -hmm. And how are you bridging there and creating that sense of we are one, we are together, um, and, and there's a community there. So mm -hmm. that's what I think about when the, the, the images the, that come to mind when I think about inclusion. I, I love that you brought in a personal anecdote to your story, because I think not only is that a great a way of bringing awareness and understanding to a very complex and layered word and concept. But I think inclusion inherently has to be about stories and about right. people and in relation to other people and uncovering those stories. Mark, do you have an anecdote of your own that you might throw in or maybe a point of view on inclusion that you might want to add? Um, all right, so so when I think about inclusion, my mind goes straight to the political. So I, I, I think about it as, um, as a leftist movement to try and bring marginalized people into the fold, mm -hmm. um, whether it is um, economic or cultural. Um, but beyond that, I, I think the movement and the word itself has greater significance than that in, in the sense that it is trying to get at, get at heart at what it means to share the world with all human beings. And, um, and I think a part of sharing the world with all human beings means that you have to celebrate your differences because you, know, you can realize that the world is from people have different points of view and those points of view you know, need to be heard as much as yours So I think that's the part of inclusion too. As, as it relates to my personal story, well, um, I'm from Jamaica originally, um, if you guys can tell that accent. And um, 
I, I know what I'm talking So what that means is that I'm kind of displaced from my cultural religions. So I don't have like, um, I don't have that sense of humor that I used to when I was a child. And moving here, I've always kind of struggled to find that, um, find a place where I belong again. And I, I think that it is hard, but I think that I'm, I'm slowly doing it. And um, I think that I'm like, while I'm doing it, I'm realizing how difficult it is. And I try to help other people do it as well mm. when I can. Most times I feel about <laughs> whenever I can, I try to make other people feel it's such a uh, that's such a great story to have brought in because what I've immediately my brain immediately went to is that Mark is from Jamaica Femi's from Nigeria both of you have experienced inclusion from the lens of your national identities but also from your racial groups and um I just find that that again going back to the complexities of this subject matter and topic like you have this common bridge that you share in whatever contours of blackness we want to define but also have distinct differences in your national identities and heritages there's two things I want to make sure we put a pin into and revisit a bit later in the discussion one is Femi harping on the point of bridging and how essential that is to exploring inclusion. And Mark, you raise the the uh, subject of celebration. And I think that's another thing that is essential to our idea of inclusion. So uh, we'll, we'll play with those two concepts as we, we dive a bit further. But Femi, in your research and maybe in your practice as well, what are some of the facets of inclusion that you've seen emerge the most? Oh, that I've seen emerge the most. Um, I, this is such a big question, <laughs> just because I've uh, done, a, done a bit of, of research when it comes to inclusion. Um, if anything, I think what might be helpful to share is that I, I did a lot of research on inclusive leadership. So spent a lot of time looking at what is this mysterious inclusive leader? What are, what are the facets that make this person inclusive or not? Um, and I remember kind of going through this research and then and then going to my advisor at the time and I said, okay, we, we found all these things that make an inclusive leader, but it sounds like it's just great leadership things that as if you're leading really well, you should be doing all these things. And I remember her saying, yep, it's not this, it's not as mysterious as sometimes people make it seem. It's actually quite intuitive. And if you're leading well, a lot of these inclusive leadership um, traits emerge from you. And I do think it's the same when it comes to inclusion. I think sometimes people make it so complicated and it is a long journey and there is a lot to learn, but a lot of it is really quite intuitive as well um, in terms of basically how, how are you listening to people? How, how are you seeing people? How are you making space for people? And how are you bridging across any differences you might have? So I think when I look about my, my research, 
Um, I think it's helpful to have research, but I think what resonates for me is how sometimes how simple some of these practices are to make progress. Um, and I do think sometimes because of defensives people have and people just want it to, to overcomplicate it, um, that you have run into some of these obstacles. So that's some of what comes up for, for me there. Yeah, I love that you brought another word that I would love for us to play with, and that's the simplicity of practicing inclusion. Uh, again, another thing that gets lost in the vitriol of these sort of conversations is how accessible doing this sort of good can be for the average layperson. But I, I want to flip that point on its head a bit and introduce a detour that I'd like to bring into our conversations. And that's how much we take the value of good and goodness for granted. And what I mean by that is we typically attribute goodness to things that are generally shared and normalized and uh, status quo for whatever uh, philosophy or cultural values are situated at the time. But I don't think we take enough time to pick apart where they may not necessarily be good for everyone. And so what I'd love for us to veer slightly into is where might the concept of inclusion not be a necessary good or not be good necessarily? Mark, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, okay. <laughs> you said that inclusion might not be good for everyone, or, or you're asking if there, there's a space or your places um, in which the value of inclusion might not be good for everyone. Um, well, it, I can see, I can see how it would take um, a lot of maturity to practice inclusive values and um, and also it would take a lot of mental stability to, to keep on hearing points of views that, well, if we're practicing true inclusion, as I, as I want to call it, um, it, it could take a lot of like personal development and um, a lot of um, emotional maturity and um, cognitive confidence to, to put yourself in places where your ideas and your identity um, are, are constantly challenged. And uh, I can see some people not being able to tell us because, you know, um, being exposed to, to the difference actually makes them feel as if they are being driven crazy. Um, so it might, in that sense, it might not be good for them in the, in the short term. I, I don't know if it would um, mean something different in the long term. Mm. But in that sense, I can definitely see it being problematic. That's, that's a really interesting point. Femi, I'm curious, do you think, and you can also, again, draw on your research and personal practice, but do you think there are core foundational traits or mindsets required for someone to be able to embark on the journey of inclusion? Uh yeah, and I, it's so inter interesting. When you said that word good, what came up for me was 
a major obstacle towards making progress in, in inclusion and that sense of people feeling like they want to be a good person and mm. anything pointed out, you know, makes them feel like, am I not a good person? And also, I, I think that word is such, it's so interesting about that word. I think even that, that sense of wanting to feel good and this journey is a mm. lot of discomfort and people feel like this doesn't feel good. And so I kind of want to step out of this. So I think that concept of wanting to be a good person and wanting to feel good, this word good sometimes can, can hold us back a little bit. And what we, what we might think is good for, is not necessarily good for us, is good for us. And so we kind of need to challenge some of those concepts, but to your point, I think for me, a, a big one is having this growth mindset that if someone points something now, if I don't know something, it doesn't make me a bad person or not good person. It just means, makes me someone who needs to learn. Uh, and so I think that growth mindset is a big part of it. I think curiosity is one of the most important traits anyone can have when it comes to the inclusion space, but also when it comes to life. If I was going to write a book, I think the first book I would write would be on curiosity and the importance of curiosity. Because when you have curiosity, I think life is about, and being successful in life is about learning, learning about yourself, learning about your environment and things around you. And if you have that curiosity, it takes away the heaviness of discomfort mm. and being uncomfortable because there's this lightness to it where it's just, all right, I'm just, I'm just curious and, and I'm just learning. So I think when it comes to inclusion, we would benefit from having more curiosity about ourselves and, and what's going on with us. I know I've been on the journey and I've had people mention things to me that they say, Hey, Femi, that's maybe not the right way to say the X, Y, Z. And and it doesn't feel good. I've been on this for a while and it, feedback is still really hard for me where, I, where it's, something comes up. So it's a matter of, okay, exploring, all right, what's going on with me? Why am I defensive now with this? And then navigating that, navigating sometimes the shame you might feel when someone points out something, you, you tend to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm this terrible person. And so building that awareness of self, what's going on with you um, and what holds you back from, from learning. And then also having that curiosity about others and and to, to your point, you, you said the word celebrate earlier. And I think mm -hmm. when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's a lot of fear in this space and people mm -hmm. are just terrified. But as you go in the journeys and as you practice, it actually makes life a lot more brighter to be curious about other people and learn about other people. And even for me, having done this so much, now when someone points something out, it's, well, I didn't know that before and now I do. And it makes life actually very exciting. Yes, it's uncomfortable, but it adds this extra dimension mm -hmm. to, to life. So I think that's also, I think that curious mindset helps kind of lay that foundation. Mark, I see you smiling. I want to know. <laughs> oh, um, you know, it, it's just, um, it's just that. So you said that we should, uh, to some degree, celebrate other people, and it, it just um, just flashed across my mind. Um, where to ask the question, really, where does celebration start and where does it stop? That's a good question, and um, that's a good question, and it's also 
I mean, this this conversation is all about disagreement, right? So, I mean, to be honest, there's some people you disagree with that you're not trying to celebrate. <laughs> But I'm thinking about some people who have had some passionate dis disagreements with, and celebration is probably the wrong, wrong word to, to use there. So I do think, though, respect sometimes is something that I can do. There are people who have very different political views than me. Yes. Um, and to your point, I, I want to celebrate every individual, but sometimes when it comes to disagreement, I, I, I have to admit it's hard to get to that celebration place. But I often can, if I can get to that place of respect and under understanding of, okay, this is why you believe that thing. I still disagree with that thing, but I respect you as a human and I value you as a, as a human. And I feel like we can still continue to bridge and have this this relationship i think that's what's important to, to this conversation so that was a good point to to bring up about celebration um because it's easy to do it when it's like nice and everyone is on the same page but when it comes to disagreement it can be a little bit challenging yes if i could take a slight uh turn around the corner but building off of what you're saying already femi in thinking about some of the foundational elements of inclusion where one of them is being open to being uncomfortable being curious having this awareness of self what comes to mind when i think of these things are what are the supporting or supplemental conditions to allow some of that to unfurl and come to bear and i think psychological safety probably is warranted here and what i've been curious about with how we bridge good conversation progressive conversation and and uh, make people feel welcomed and as though they belong is who owns psychological safety i guess similar in the way of where does celebration begin and end it's to whose responsibility is the psychological safety and how should we ideally go about creating that you know because i think about <laughs> I'm, i'm drawing on a personal story here where i think for one person in a disagreement in an argument they felt as though their identity was being seen and recognized and acknowledged and another person in an argument was feeling as though they had to concede their point and almost lose so to speak lose the conversation or the battle of the argument so to speak and what i was thinking is that that felt like an act them not acting violently or responding to that in a negative way felt like their concession for building psychological safety but my what i was thinking about as this this event was happening in real time for me was is that their responsibility like should they have looked to agitate things a bit more should they have looked to uh wrestle through the conversation a bit more or uh, this is all to ask in so many words where does psychological safety fit in this the story or this narrative um so there's there are a few different ways <laughs> you could, could take that 
question, um, but I'll start with where you ended it about, about where does psychological safety fit in all of this? Um, and so again, psychological safety is a concept that has a lot of a buzz around it. And, and, and that's all about, with psychological safety, that's when you feel like you can speak up, you can share your mind without any fear of retribution or backlash or, or humiliation. So, the, so that's what psychological safety is all about. Um, I think in, in this space, it, I think psychological safety is really helpful place for learning um, and for growth and for people to, and like curiosity. I think curiosity thrives in psychological safety. And I think it's hard to have curiosity when you, you don't have psychological safety. There's lots of research about kids and, and children, young children, where as they feel safe, that they're more likely to explore and, and do different things. And I think that's the same as, as we grow up, as we have that safety of, I'm not gonna be humiliated um, if, if I explore this thing. It helps us not be as afraid of, of, of difference. And, and you said something earlier about, uh, you asked a different question about whose responsibility is it for psychological safety and I'm thinking about in the DEI space right now and even the the racial justice, social justice space and where you need to have this balance of agitating people and making them uncomfortable and kind of showing them this is what's happening with you. And, and also though, it's helpful to create an environment where there's still safety so people feel like, all right, I can grow I want to take a step forward in this place, but you know, like a, a child learning how to walk, I might fall down, I might see the wrong thing. Um, but whose job is it to make sure that people feel like challenged and also feel like I'm I can I can learn and mess up a little bit? And I think that's that's a, a challenging question. I know and I feel like it's my role, I straddle both of those roles where it's like, here's the data. You got to move forward right now and also okay let me help you walk a little here's how you take this first step forward um but but it is but it is but it is a balance um and i think we everyone has a role to play in the, in the progress towards inclusion yeah i definitely trapped you with an impossible question to answer but as so that we could gently segue into the disagreement part because i think that's the unfortunately the the aspect of this conversation we spend the least amount of time actually uh building concrete tactics tips and strategies for one time in one of our conversations mark asked a question around who should own the solution to climate change for example it, it should that sit within the culture or political sphere, cultural or political sphere. And although this is a far stretch, I think a similar question is warranted here. Who, who is responsible for bringing in psychological safety that could be necessary for inclusion? Is it something that we should start practicing within our cultural groups and communities and start there? Or should this be mandated through policy and 
through uh, authorities and those we put in charge of ensuring our safety. Mark, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I, I think this, this question is quite similar to the one before, to some degree. Um, and I would say that it's the, 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 <laughs> the role of um, ensuring psychological safety, general psychological safety, belongs to every person that wants to be seen. Um, I, I think, think um, sanity is linked to love, and I think love is linked to psychological safety. I mean, they others feel safe to come forward with their um, quote-unquote true self. You, know, you want to hear what that person is really about. You want to hear what that person actually thinks and actually feels. And um, in order for them to come forward with um, what they have on their minds, they have to make them feel safe. And to some degree, and well, similarly, they have to do the same to you, you know, or to do the same for you. And I think that helps with your sanity and that helps with the other person's sanity. Um, but but um, to, to answer your specific question about um, where the... Um, where the ultimate decision lies, where is it um, in culture or is it um, through policy? Thanks. Um, I think I think that it has to it, it, it has to take an interplay of both. You know, the culture has to be ready for it, and then policy has to support um, support the institutions necessary to foster these things. Just like how it supports um, our economic system, being capitalism. Culture is ready for it, the policy is supported. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to ask both of you this question because I think this is the climactic point that we get to something concrete and tangible. But Mark, if you could continue further down that avenue around where culture comes to play and where politics and policy comes in, where, where, do, where might those manifest in relationship to uh, peaceful, I'm not going to say peaceful, in relation to productive arguing. Where does the culture factor in to allow us to foster the ability to have productive arguments versus where do things, firm, concrete structures need to be put in place from the powers that be? Okay. Well, um, I, I, well I think we already have um, examples of those. I, I think, um, for example, um, the idea that as an American you have this God-given right to speak freely, you know, to say exactly what is on your mind. Um, I, I think that's one instance of um, like the, the culture being used in both um, certain uh, norms and values. And then your right to free speech is also enshrined in law. You know, so that you can, um, you know, if your speech isn't offensive, then you have a right to say whatever it is that is on your mind. And no, no government or other person or entity can stop you from doing that. Um, so I, I think we already have it. I think to, to, to I think it might be in danger of being eroded, though. 
So I don't, I don't know, I don't, I haven't clarified my thoughts on that fully, but um, or maybe it was the case that it, it, it was all, it has already been eroded, and that we're just seeing the final fruits of like you know that effort. So I don't know. <laughs> Femi, I I want to push the same question um, on your plate, and instead of looking through the lens of maybe government or or something that high level and broad, thinking more specifically within institutions and organizations, at what point do they need to set the structures for uh, productive arguing versus? The, the embedding of cultural values to ensure we can do that. Yeah. And um, I think, again, this conversation about culture and, and policies, and I completely agree with what you shared, Mark, where I think both, I think these are two different instruments that have value in, in, in making progress and transformation. I think with, um, with institutions, it's helpful to have some of the stuff that's that's obstacles of progress. It's just a matter of having the right processes and policies in place. And that actually really is helpful with equity. And also though, it's helpful to start to shift people's mindsets, mindsets and make sure it's, it's a personal relationship people have to some of these things. I think some of these processes in terms of having a, 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 a a fair recruitment process will help with equity and things like that. Having a fair promotion process will help with equity. But it's all it's helpful for your leaders to have this mindset. And I do think culture stories help with having that personal relationship with this and, and getting into that personal mm -hmm. space and, and being able to disagree in a productive way. I mm -hmm. came across this Cool. I think it was by Dave Chappelle, but I think the, the premise of it was basically that the great, the great Dave Chappelle. I think the, the premise of it was kind of, we've all believed these lies. And, and one of the lies is that two great lies that help, that are obstacles to disagreeing productively. And the first one is that if someone is different, someone has a different lifestyle than me, then I need to fear them. I need to hate them. The second one is if I love someone, I have to agree with everything they say or do. Um, and both of those aren't true. And I know we've, we've taken it beyond the political context, but the political context is so heavy right now. Hmm. And it is such a big part of disagreement and disagree, disagreement that's not productive. And I do think it's a big obstacle to inclusion and us coming together as a country. And I think part of what is, at the root of that divisiveness are these two big lies that if someone has a diff different political mindset than me, they are evil. And if I'm of this mindset, I have to agree with everything that my party does, because I do think there are people who have inklings of, I don't know if I completely agree with that, but I'm part of this group. This is my tribe. So I guess I have to mm -hmm. go with it and people are not going that extra step. So. I think going back to, to your statement, I think the political arena has some instruments that can be helpful in, in this space. They also have some weapons that can really destroy mm -hmm. in this space when it comes to disagreement and things. 
Um, I think culture also has a part to play, especially in when we talk about this being a personal experience and we, when we talk about nuances of capturing disagreement in a way, because I know I've seen really beautiful portrayals of, of different worlds that I'm in. It helps me engage in a way that doesn't feel, that feels immersive and not aggressive. And, and it, it, it kind of stokes my curiosity about that space. And I don't feel as challenged or, or defensive. So I also feel like culture definitely has a big role to play as well. Wow, that was so beautifully articulated both. I might take this moment to um, embarrass myself with the two heavyweight answers that I'm following and just throw in an example from some of the work we do in Eternal Remedy, the creative work that we do in Eternal Remedy, because there's this necessary, often implicit reality with working in a creative group that you have to disagree in a way that can facilitate um, growth, motion, and uh, production. And that's way easier said than done. And in practice gets very muddy, very difficult because when you're trying to facilitate everyone's uniqueness and everyone's point of view and everyone's uh, skill and talent that they bring to the table and try and land on some amalgamation, some Frankenstein version of that that feels uh, unified and organic. It's very hard to know what to do to facilitate that. And I think from what I've learned from this experience, we there's a few things that are cultural pillars that we've put in policy and the way that we uh, go about work. One is having standards for your background research and credibility before you enter a conversation. So level setting and letting people know where you are in relation to this topic, whether that be uh, in terms of information and knowledge or emotionally or personally, um, let us know what is bringing this to the fore for you? Why is this a, a project or a point of view that matters to you? And so we literally try to document that in documents for Ascent. The next thing is to create a common agreement or a contract amongst us to say that once you bring that to bear in a conversation or a meeting or in our Slack, for example, we are you are opening yourself up for us to be critical and curious about that so know that we are going to acknowledge your unique place in this conversation but we're also going to bring some level of of questioning to it and the last that i think is useful as an analogy for our conversation here is that we are not just going to leave you alone in this journey of developing this thing. It's, we're going to support you for who you are as a member of our group and tribe, even if we may not fully be baked in or uh, acclimated to the idea. And I think that's the part that's often missing from this conversation. Again, as you're saying, Femi, as this has grown to such a tumultuous political climax, a climate, sorry, is that we don't, 
we no longer see ourselves as members of this collective body that still should show up for the other members. We are very dismissive and uh, very, um, uh, we pass over people whose, whose views don't fully form and align to ours. And I think that little bit of just knowing that once you're in this group and you want to be uh, a part of this supportive network that regardless we'll do the back and forth the, the bantering the bickering for a bit but regardless of where we end up we're still going to show for the other person and i think that that has helped with uh with how you can forge a pathway towards more productive disagreement yeah i think when you were you mentioned tribe and and i think that is such a powerful concept and a great concept for us as, as humans. I think it's really necessary actually to have a tribe and it's a good thing. I think the shadow side of that is that anyone outside of your tribe becomes a threat. Um, so I love what you shared there about trying to work around this and, and create that, that almost kind of pushing people out of, out, out of comfort uh, a little bit. I also feel like what we're seeing around us is the tribe mentality, really people honing down on, on it. I think in times that are really uncertain and volatile, you want to feel safe and you look to what you know and, and, and your tribe. And then I, I think then it's okay. And you want to have some clarity about what's, what's a threat to that. And I think that's just amped up way up right now. Whereas here's my tribe, they're, they're the best and everyone else is a threat to, to me and, and to my tribe. So what you shared there is kind of helping people stretch a little bit um, and be uncomfortable and creating a process of kind of people feeling safe to explore a little bit and and be curious and and all of that is just so important for creativity and what you also mentioned is it's not easy i think sometimes it's actually really hard <laughs> um sometimes i feel like people feel like psychological safety and inclusion is this great thing everyone's just going to feel good all the time <laughs> and it's not true it's a lot of disagreement when you bring a lot of different people together um to to be a family it's it's hard it's beautiful but it's really hard and, and, and it's challenging. So I think normalizing that it's a process and it's gonna be messy, it's gonna be uncomfortable and it's gonna be worth it, I think is something that people need to, to be aware of. It's a brilliant point. Mark, I'm gonna give you a chance to speak on this given you have firsthand experience as well. But the reason why I want to, I just wanna take a moment to go back to two thoughts we pinned earlier around creating bridges and having and celebrating difference. A part of this process that um, I, th I think sits at the heart of those concepts is that at the end of the day, these policies and practices that we've set up in a small creative group like this, and that could be scaled maybe to an organization and maybe to even a state or a nation is the bridges that actually bring people to where the other person is. And I think language is a brilliant bridge and, and also systems are 
uh, great bridges. And I'm very curious about how we can start developing more space that acts in service of bringing people to where the other is. And the celebration bit is we certainly to we certainly need to be celebratory about that journey. Like I I love having my mind changed about how I built perceptions towards uh, a group that I don't identify with. There's, there's something very uh, uh, en enlivening and, and inspiring about knowing that I have now expanded my remit. I've now opened my mind. I've now learned and discovered something that I hadn't uh, had in my arsenal beforehand. And I think it's just a, a beautiful thing to to be able to access in this world, that celebration of, of uh, bridging into someone else's. Mark, do you have any final thoughts on this? We'll have one more question afterwards for um, this conversation, then we'll open up for everyone to throw in thoughts, reflections, and their own questions. Um, well, your points were well said. <laughs> and uh, we'll take them to, um, I think, I guess what I can do is summarize them in, um, I don't know, a mythological way. Um, but but I think I think um, we're encouraged um, um, in Christianity at least. We're encouraged, and I think in most religions, we're encouraged to love our neighbors um, as ourselves. But we often forget that we're encouraged to love our enemies as ourselves too. Why? Because quite often what people are seeing in person. And I think um, we have to kind of, if if I would like to say at least, like this mindset where I'm going to be both an enemy and a friend to, um, to other people. Meaning that I'm going, I'm going to make them feel safe um, as much as possible, but I'm also going to challenge them to, you know, whenever, um, whenever I can. And I think that was what um, both of you were getting at. Um, as for the last point about bridges, building bridges and celebrating um, having your mind changed, I'm, I'm a little bit more dubious in that regard. I love meeting fun people who are different from me. And maybe that is, that is how I build the bridges, you know? Because <laughs> if I can laugh about the stereotypes about you, you can laugh about the stereotypes about me, then at least we know that the stereotypes don't give us the clearest picture of the person. And um, I, I think, I think um, in the bridges, there's space of humor that we might not be utilizing. Yeah. I, I love that. I completely agree. I think humor and laughing with someone creates this connection um, that is really powerful. And I think there is a big space for that. I think humor is helpful for life, but I, I do think it is a powerful tool in, in this as well. That's a great point. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. This was, we covered a lot of ground and I think we've arrived at something very whole, sturdy and uh, progressive. And so let's end on the note or the question of, if we were to distill it down one more level, what is one tactic or two tactics or maybe three tactics that someone who tunes into this, hears this, can take away into their own life to have 
a inclusive disagreement or make someone feel uh, included or within the spirit of inclusion while disagreeing. Femi, do you have a tactic that we could take away? Yeah, that's a good one. I think going off of that curiosity mindset, I, I would say think about an area that you, you want to be more, that you may not be aware of that you want to be more curious about. I think, I think in, when it comes to disagreement and inclusion, what's been helpful for me is starting to be more curious about what happens to me in disagreements when someone shares a point of view that I disagree with. And again, this is curiosity about myself and not being judgmental even about me. It's just more when a disagreement arises, what's going on with me, what's happening, and that helps me um, navigate, building that awareness of myself helps me kind of learn a little bit and approach that disagreement and following disagreements a little bit more. And I think having that step, being able to be more curious even within the disagreement is really, really helpful um, to really continue to see people even as you're disagreeing with them. So that's, I would encourage people to, to do that, be be curious about themselves when they disagree with, with someone and, and what they want to add to that. And then more broadly, just when it comes to inclusion, like what's the what's the net new for you? What's the next step for you? What makes sense for you? As you were listening to this conversation, what perked up for you? Um, it could have been a series of things, encourage you to lean into that. Um, I think our minds tell us where we need to go. We just need to listen a lot more. So lean into that and and then and follow and, and see what the next step is for you when, when it comes to that. Brilliant, brilliant. Mark, your thoughts? Let me see. I think, I think two things. Um, two things are going to be to foster an attitude of inclusion. Well, one thing I was going to foster an attitude of inclusion. And another thing allows me to manage expectations about, uh, you know, what what possibility there is to have like meaningful dialogue with other people. So I think um, the, the key thing for me is to always try and remember that no matter what happens, whether I'm dealing with a criminal, um, a psychologist, um, a clerk, a retailer, anybody, is that human beings are miracles you know they're um, absolutely precious no matter what they do <laughs> um but on the on the um in contrast to that i i try to remember that it is not always going to be possible to have a meaningful exchange with everybody and um, i try to have set different expectations for different people and yeah, you know, you, you still foster an attitude, you still try to treat people as if you're miracles, but you don't, you, you expect different things from everybody, or you expect different things from different people, essentially. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Let's end our centered discussion around us on that note and invite any points of views or thoughts and questions from those of you tuning in. Um, and feel free if you're not comfortable getting off uh, mute to just type it in. Um, I, I do have 
I do have one, it's not a question, but maybe one thought exercise just to bring some of this to life for us here in that if you were to reflect on this conversation, how it progressed and flowed, what's something that you might have disagreed with and how how would you want to bring that forward to our understanding and consciousness? Go for it. This is Michael. Uh, uh, thank you for the you know presentation. is uh, perfectly great. Um, uh, I, but for me, I, um, the part of this agreement, I think, uh, um, you know, the disagreement, I think, is part of like conversation. Uh, we need to understand that for sure. You know, from Mandalay, we want to get peaceful. We want to get a solution. We uh, we want to get you know to make the make answer to the question to cover that question. I think it's a kind of like common uh, psychological you know the people they want to get a like final result. But uh, regarding to the Fanny's uh, talk, very interesting you know very strong leadership and uh, the process. But I think uh, my point is uh, firstly from A to Z. Uh, you know, we have to go, we have you know, we create the environment, the culture, the process, the language, you know, we, we suppose that can very perfect, but just we look into the language. Do we, we talk the same language, even we talk the same word, mm. but behind the meaning, is the same meaning? Mm. The first question. The second is uh, understanding, you know, the problem. We understand the solution, but remember the problem is come from the human beings. <laughs> and the answer is coming from the human being too. So mm. if we really, really use like a common, like a society teaches us logic, what's the goal? What's the way we reach the goal? What's the action? That means we go in a dead cycle. It doesn't work. That's my the second point. The third thing is, um, um, I think the current uh, in the societies, you know, all people they want to react. We call it motivation, leadership, you know, the take action to speak out. But uh, I don't feel it's really we initiative to motivate to raise What I call it like a reaction. That means once they have something, we try to react. But if we suppose like all the people re react the same thing, but still we follow the majority people decision, <laughs> that doesn't change anything. So. If we look a little bit detailed things, we put like individualism plus Darwinism, they put together. So I don't think for the minority people, they have the chance. Even they say a lot of things, they, they, they create a lot of group. I mean, they say, but that's a rule because the tools are based on the, all the people have the same equal right, you know? So I, I think still, maybe I make a, another suitable like a, a mental phrase. We know how to make the recipe, the recipe from A to Z, but do you think the chef would make the, the dish is the same as what I made? I don't think <laughs> so. So <laughs> the question is not how to do it. It's, it's, a, it's a house bed. It's because I think two things, one thing the question is not a stable. Then once we bring the solution, the question, they change from A to, before maybe it's a religion question, but it's time they, they, they come, come to the country question up after maybe go to like, uh, you know, racist question. So 
we seem to we, we solve the problem, but we just shift from one question to another question based on the time, based on our tolerance, the first things. The second, I, I said the question is not stable. They, they change the shape by the time, by the space, by the values. So mm -hmm. the, the trigger, I mean, also the, the is caused by the people, human beings, okay? I mean, that's first. The second is, uh, I know we could uh, take a try, but uh, the elephant is so huge. Yeah, you can try hundred years, but if I can give you one example, you know, like in English, we talk about like, uh, uh, like a Latin language in French, we have the time. So if we talk the future, we change the time, we change the verb according to what kind of future past. That means the verb they change. It means we give the commitment for the time. If we talk about the future, it's really we talk about the future. But if you look at the Asian cultures, they never change the time. They use always the present language to the future, mm -hmm. to the past. It means they, they say the future doesn't exist. It comes from the moment because the projection for, for the moment is the future. And the, the past is only the memory. So both are correct. You know, so if you talk in the cycle thing, I think you never can get a solution because basically it's different uh, sort of, uh, I call it a consciousness flow, you know, so you try, but uh, you can use the time, but you, you shift from one question to another question. This is my disagreement. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Michael. That was brilliantly said. I'm not even going to comment on that because I feel like Femi and Mark have a lot of better things to say, but that was brilliantly said. I just share. Thank you so much. <laughs> Go for it, Wincy. Hi, uh, Stefan. It's actually Pino, Wincy's uh, husband. Hey, Pino. <laughs> I'm listening. Wincy's here as well. <laughs> um, first, I just want to congratulate you guys on a, on a great discussion. Um, you know, one of the notes I was taking while you guys were speaking is, you know, I kept talking about, you know, we need a society that's more, and, and, and Femi, you kept saying it, you know, curious society, you know, where we... Where I find a lot of times educators, government, they're just not curious enough. And I think the people, and, and coming from a business background, I find the most successful people are those who always take an interest in others, are curious, where are you from? What do you do? What did you do in your past? And, you know, and one of the things that, you know, I, I always find is that educators a lot of times try to stifle creativity. You know, and when you do that, you stifle curiosity. Um, and we try to put everybody in the same little box. And I think one of the things that I've been successful in, in my business world is, you know, I just want people to do things differently. I know what I do can be very successful, but you don't have to be me. Find your own individual self, your genuine self. And that's what's going to make people trust you. That's what's going to make people um you know, believe in what either you're selling or what you're doing or what you're trying to accomplish. But anyway, I just, my big takeaway was um, just the amount that we need to improve our curiosity. Hmm. And um, and I think if we do that as a society, you know, we're, we're going to get there. You know, it take, it's taking a long time, 
But I think if we encourage people just to be a little bit more curious, you know, don't be afraid of your neighbor who's different. You know, don't be afraid of that person who walks in the door that you don't recognize, you know? And I think that's where we will be able to make a bigger leap in changing the way people um, do and 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 um, look at things. So anyway, mm. great conversation, guys. I loved it. Thank you so much. Of Thank that point, so I, I also love that concept of not being afraid of someone who's different than you, but even different approaches. I think sometimes leaders can feel so challenged when somebody wants to do something different. So I love that approach of setting up that environment where you don't have to be like me, be like you. And that's not, I think it takes a lot of humility to set up an environment like that. And also security, actually, that you're not you don't have that insecurity. So when someone that does things differently, it makes you feel like, oh, something wrong, wrong with me. You have that security of it's not a challenge to me. And, and, and I can be, have, take a, be curious about different approaches as well. And I think that's powerful. And it would be great to see a lot more people and leaders take that, that approach um, to, to living as well. Mark, anything you'd add to both? Uh comment so far jesus um, um i was trying to get away with being quiet um well the the, the um the only thing i would add well this, this might be a point of disagreement for me um with everything that has been well to, 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 um, to everything except Michael's point, um, I think we have to remember that it is extreme, extremely difficult. Um, because, for example, you might encourage people to be more curious as, um, as employees and they might leave your uh, company and start their own business. You, you know? <laughs> so we, 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 um, I think, I think, just to just encourage a sense of mindfulness about how difficult this um, this project of diversity and inclusion can be. That's all. I disagree. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's so useful to add and so important to take away. And if I could just build on that as a final point, one thing I've been very conscious of. In, oh, one, one minute, Stephen. I'm sorry to cut you. Did, did Adam want to say anything? I don't think so. Okay, no. All right. One thing I've been so conscious of in having these conversations and thinking about this work and this space is how easily it is for us to come to terms and agree of sorts even in this conversation because we're all relatively coming from the same reference point we are in relatively privileged places in the western world where we have the space and resources to see things appear for us that may not appear for other people and what is salient is exactly what determines the polarities of this conversation. And the moment you lose that frame of reference, 
and I think Michael was alluding to this as well, the language itself changes. Words don't mean the same, even to have a conversation and argument. And so there's a, there's a very critical uh, mo moment of having first made sure that you're all coming from the same concept and understanding of things and relationship to them for inclusion and even disagreement to be meaningful and effective. Michael, I see you raise your hand. Do you want to chime in? Yeah, in fact, the first uh, first part, I just uh, increased my disagreement, but uh, it's not over, you know. <laughs> now the second part is, uh, what's the solution? <laughs> no, what I say is, uh, uh, I mean, that's part of life. You know? I mean, if you look at the history, you know, different uh, different time had different problem, you know, but what I say is that all the things we created is by not by the other people, you know, really by people by us, and after we shift it. So, so I think that maybe a, a, a raise the question mark is we we need to think uh, why we go for you know go the spiral. I say go spiral down, spiral up. You know, I think all the ideas it created by our ancestors, they are very smart. They they create wisdom. They want to make our life uh, uh, easier, you know, or make make, make our life uh, because based on experience, based on the, you know all their, uh, they are they have passed all the experiences, you know, in the in the society. But the thing is, all the wisdom uh, is like tools, you know. So if we really believe the tool, that means we're part of the tool. For example, I know the you know in the American North American, we always say. You know, identity. You know, I belong to. Uh, I mean, like uh, I don't know, white people. You know, you know, the yellow people. You know, other like identity. I have very, very proud of that. But uh, really, we ask the question: We belong to the identity. Will identity belong to us? So I think that's the that's that's the question we should ask. We can inherited some values from our ancestors, but if we really under under the identities, maybe we can we create a conflict between the different categories, whatever, you know, not only by the identity, by the different things, you know, by the, you know, someone uh, in the business, someone in the agriculture, you know, because they, they really put the people in the different box and the box with box, they have conflict. It doesn't mean the people, they don't have good intents, you know, intention, you know. So, but what I say is every everything idea ideology like uh, darwinism you know, at that time it works you know very good because that time they need to develop the culture they need they, they, they need to develop the, the societies that's why they liberal the, the laborers to to do the work but with the time going on 100 years we already benefited that values and then they created the, another side of the problem so we need to handle that uh, so uh, what I say is way the solution, I think is based on the, the same level as the solution even higher. I think that's the real answer because we need to eat the solution. Even we don't need to ignore the question. For example, like, uh, uh, like uh, Fanny take a very good example, say the kids in the garden, you know, I think they live very well, better than adults. No one teach them language, no one teach them. Why? Because they don't have a box in the brain. So 
doesn't matter. I mean, they just play together, even they cannot speak very well, but still there are no boundaries. So we need to think about from our heart, you know, it's not like we learn things from the teacher is great, I know, but they just like, uh, they try to education and learning is totally different things. Education is based on the society, but learning is based on individuals. So we cannot use the learning to say, we do the education thing, we cannot use education because I feel that in the whole world, they, they try to use the different concept, try to uh, misunderstanding, uh, misguided, you know, the, the, the people's uh, the, the, the conscience after they lost in the, in the trap. But again, I think that the life uh, is complicated, but it's really simple. It's not that complicated because all the idea is, is we put a lot of pepper inside. But if we really make it easier, we put like a real dishes, and put a little bit of pepper, you know, the life should be very beautiful, but we put a lot of peppers. I think that's a different thing. You know? So now the question, I think uh, probably, you know, because of the, uh, the, the, you know, 100 years, 20, 20 years ago, we created like uh, the concept of like freedom of the, the things. I, I didn't say freedom is not good. I just say, you know, this time they created the, like negative things. We put too much peppers, and after we forgot the real things we want to eat, we just compare the pepper, which pepper is good. But uh, that we forgot the chicken, we forgot the uh, the real uh, how to say that the principle uh, the thing. Yeah, that's uh, that's my uh, solution. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I I love that analogy. I I'm going to use that, and I hope we continue to use that. That's such a elegantly and exhaustive concept of the the problem we've got way too obsessed with the pepper absolutely absolutely we forgot what is essential femi and i were speaking yesterday actually and um one of the one of the <laughs> the central themes for what we are speaking is is just how much divisiveness is rooted in these random imaginations that we've created or someone our ancestors have created for us like even the way we structure our societies our institutions our points of view these are just imaginations that someone has created about the world they they don't exist in any tangible way outside of collective ideas that we've wrapped around with a consensus and all that is just the spice that's that's just something that we try to add to the world to make it, I guess, interesting or useful or convenient. And uh, this this essential quality, or this um, first principle uh, way of being a human that is kind of missing from our living today. And I know that's a cliche to say, and probably has been said from generation to generation. But there's something about that that I think we have a calling to return to, and we can see it in our wanting to go back to nature and to simplifying our lives and all that good stuff. This feels like as good a note as any to finally wrap up. We um, we went above and beyond the time we thought we would, which usually uh, suggests we had a good discussion. And I thank you all for chiming in your points of views, creating a safe space to have this conversation and feeling um, invested in the subject matter enough to want to add something to it and we appreciate you for for your time and your investment i'll close by saying 
Thank you for listening in. We want to continue to create spaces like this and we'll try and do it digitally until the world is somewhat open again. Uh, but we also want to have the conversation continue outside just from virtual conference calling. So we're going to try and create maybe like a Facebook group or some sort of uh, online forum where we can just keep riffing and chatting and discussing these in everyone's time and availability and uh, connect to their own flexibility with through that. So without belaboring the point, thank you so much. Thank you, Femi, for gracing us with your presence. We need to have you around more. It's, it's always a uh, an occasion to learn from you every time we speak and I appreciate you greatly. Mark, thank you for always bringing in your energy and intelligence. And until the next one, we have an exciting guest who may or may not be in this conversation right now, but we will follow up with details on that. Please stay tuned to our socials and our emails and all that good stuff. And until the next time, we're signing out.